Welcome this morning. This morning I want to talk to you uh, around our 100 years. And I just want to say this, the greatest gift you can give yourself is the gift to dream. The gift to dream. God gave us the gift to dream. And there are two types of people. There are dreamers and there are drifters. Dreamers are people that run after what they dream about. And then there are drifters who just respond and react to life. So many people take a passive response to the circumstances of life. I'm not one of those people and I know at Influences, none of you are either. But in the people that you live with, the people that you care about, it matters that we help people be dreamers. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could dream, so we could have vision, so we could see the future, so we could be a part of that. Today, if you're watching from Alpharetta, Kennesaw, Gwinnett, Espanol or online, we want you to know that dreaming is God's great gift to our lives. Drifting is the alternative that we do not want to follow. And here's what I learned a long time ago. <clears throat> whether your dream is big or small, whether you're a large thinker or just, I just wanna get by, your dream is gonna cost you the same, whether it's big or small, because it's gonna cost you your focus and your life. So I decided if it's gonna cost me the same, I might as well go for the biggest dream I can ever think about. I'm gonna ask God for the biggest ideas, the biggest innovation, the biggest things that are impossible. I want the complex things. I want things that require all kinds of thought and supernatural intervention because I wanna live in that world. The older I get, the more powerful I'm gonna become, the more innovative I'm gonna be, the more excited about life you'll find me. That's what happens when you're a dreamer because when dreams are given and the dreams are received, it's amazing how they become a habit of your life. If I haven't got a dream, I'm frustrated. I'm looking for that next dream. I'm not just looking for a way out, I'm looking for a way through. And when you're a dreamer, whether you go over it, under it, around it, or through it, you're gonna make it through to the other side. And you know, our church is celebrating 100 years this weekend. And I was talking to Dr. Mike Maiden just a couple of weeks ago, he was in Atlanta with us, and he said to me this, he says, you know, it's very unusual for a church or any organisation for that matter, but for a church to get to 100 years, to celebrate 100 years when they're at their most healthy, and they're at their, and their most uh, forward-thinking, most expansive, and at their highest point. And he said, when I look at influencers, what I see is a church that is at its highest point so far. And to do that at the same time as 100 years comes around is amazing, because otherwise you'd be talking about the good old days, the past, and they were good old days. And here's the great thing about what I think is, is unique and and amazing to any organisation there, so 100 years, and especially is true of us, is that many people, committees, board members, elders, pastors that have come before, have all, and the people of the church have all had the ability to adapt, to flex, to adopt, to move in a direction, to yield, yeah. to submit, to bend, 
to say, right, we just want God. We want God to use us. We wanna be in the right place at the right time. We wanna make a difference to our generation. We wanna be the pace setters. We wanna be leading out the front. And our church has been one of those churches. I believe God loves every church. And I believe He likes ours as well. What I believe is that God raises up churches for communities, but He also raises up churches globally. And I believe we're one of those churches. And if you're watching at Alpharetta today, God wants you to know God's put us in Alpharetta to make a huge difference from Alpharetta to the people of that community and beyond. In Gwinnett, it's the same thing. There's a building coming for Gwinnett. When I think about Espanol, when I think about Kennesaw, God has placed you right in the right place to do the most amazing things that we could not do by ourselves, but we can do together. What I love about our 100 years is this, you can't point to one superstar leader that started this all off. Most churches are, you know, that, that go somewhere uh, are led by uh, people with, with super uh, extroverted personalities or super talented, gifted people. And yet our church started in obscurity. It's grown obscure because everybody matters because the glory goes to one person. His name is Jesus Christ, right? We want Him to have all the honour. I love it. You know, a, a team of champions is always never as good as a champion team. And that's what we are at Influences, whether we're in Kennesaw, whether we're in Alpharetta, whether we're in Espanol, whether we are at Gwinnett, whether we're here in Adelaide, whether we are in South Australia somewhere, in Clare Valley, wherever it might be. You know what? It doesn't matter. Together is what makes the power of who we are so great, so dynamic, so impactful. And today on our 100 years, I wanna talk about that because think about this. Lots of leaders, lots of groups of committees, lots of departments, lots of elders, lots of board members have had to shift and move with the times. To get to this point at the high watermark of our 100 years, and it's just really the low watermark of the next 100 years, it takes people to respond and yield to God and God's leading. It takes mature people. It takes people with intelligence and people with spiritual maturity to go, I'm in this for the long haul. See, when Jesus came, Jesus didn't choose one person to replace Him. He chose 12. Now we may think, oh, it's because Jesus was so good He needed 12. But if you go back to the Old Testament, He comes to, the, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But then He takes Jacob's 12 children and guess what He does? He turns them into a nation. And that nation of 12 tribes, because 12 means government. So 12 tribes in the Old Testament, 12 apostles in the New Testament, God's number for government, go into the promised land together. They fight together, they march together, they sleep separately in their own areas, but they are one and yet they are many. It's an amazing, amazing phenomenon that God wants us to happen. Think about it, the Trinity, one God, three persons. If we think about our church, it's not about one leader, it's about many people. We are one and we are many. We are one and we are many. Whether you're at Alpharetta, we are one and we are many. Whether you're at Kennesaw, we're one and we are many. If you're at Espanol, we're one and we are many. If you're at Gwinnett, we're one and we are many. That's the secret of the last 100 years. That'll be the secret of the next 100 years is to do it the way 
God wants it done. I think God made me an introvert. I'm a reformed introvert, sure, but God made me an introvert for this reason. I don't want the glory to go to me. I don't wanna be the one. I want Jesus to be the one. And it's not because I'm humble, it's just because I don't like the attention. And I think God loves that. I think that's an amazing thing. It's easy for some people to be like, oh, give me some more attention. But I love giving the attention to Jesus because that's the one that deserves all the attention. And it's always been this way. We're not one leader, we are many. We're not one campus, we are many. We're on our way to 200. We're not from the same place, but from many. Reminds me of a great song that we sing in Australia. The chorus says, we are one, but we are many. And from all the lands of earth we come. We'll share a dream and sing with one voice. I am, you are, we are Australian. We are American. We are Indonesian. We are South American. We are European. We are African. We are one, but we are many. And this is how God wants His kingdom to be. We should be the most diverse place on the planet Earth. Why? Because God's into generations, ages and stages and diversity of all nations. God wants us to represent who He is. And He's a God of every person, every creed and colour, every person. And God wants us to understand that that's so important to Him. And when we represent the Kingdom, God's anointing comes upon the church in a very, very special way. You know, we've seen in the last 100 years over 50 to maybe 70,000 people walk down the aisles and give their lives to Christ. That's only 50,000 in the last 50 years. What about the years before? Let's say there was another 20,000 plus the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that have been saved from pastors that were raised in this church that now pastor or did pastor across the world that have seen many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands find Christ. And they were born here, they were raised here, things happened here and they were sent out from there and now campuses all over the world are doing the same thing. Pastors and leaders, and we're very grateful that God would use this house to be a lighthouse to the world. You know, one of the things that we are also is that we are a innovation church, an innovative church, a spiritual entrepreneur. That's what I like to call myself. I'm a spiritual entrepreneur. I'm trying to create things. They're not for me. They're for the church. I'm trying to create things for, the, for God, trying to be ahead of the curve, trying to be a futurist, thinking 10 years ahead, trying to be on the cutting edge of what God's doing and what the world is doing. You know, our mission is Jesus. The focus of everything is Jesus. And we are mildly attached to our methods, but our focus is on Jesus. And our methods will always change. So like Paul, we can say, by all means, I will win some to Christ. This is what we do, this is how we live. We're innovative, we're creative. We are people that think outside the box. We're not locked into tradition. We're not locked into the same old, same old. We don't just march up 12 paces this way and 12 paces that way, like some caged animal. We are people that think freely, think outside the box and think about what God can do if only we yield ourselves to Him. Woo! In the last 20 years has been a season of rapid change. It's been changed for a hundred years. It's been rapid, but it's just getting more rapid. Who's noticed the pace of change is increasing? Yeah. 
It is increasing so exponentially that we need to find ourselves thinking. We better be thinking ahead, ahead, ahead. Not just surviving today, but asking God to give us the grace for today, but also the mind for tomorrow. Because we're gonna prepare for our next generation. We're gonna prepare for the kids that come along. We're gonna prepare for the grandchildren that come along. We're gonna prepare a church. We're gonna prepare a way. We're gonna protect the church from all the forces that wanna shut it down and get Jesus out of our world. We've gotta be there to be the lighthouse, to direct those that are lost towards Him and towards a safe place a safe harbour like the ark did for those families of Noah. And because it's a time of rapid change, we also need to be highly flexible. We need to be people that are able to adapt, flex, move. Here's one of the things I've really worked on in my marriage is this. Our marriage drives at 100 mile an hour. What does that mean? We are, we are running so here's how people tell you, if you watch marriage seminars, if you're watching at Alpharetta, Kennesaw, Spaniel, Gwinnett, let me tell you, in marriage seminars, they'll tell you, slow down, smell the roses, all that good advice. And it's true if you can't drive fast. <laughs> because if you're driving fast, too fast, you will crash. I've got another option. I can either slow down or I can get more skilled at my driving so I can drive fast. Let me give you an example. If Jane and I wanna drive fast, I don't have three days to give her the cold shoulder for offending me. I'm not gonna talk to her for three days till she deserves it. I've got three minutes to get over my offence. That's how I increase my skill so we can drive faster. If we wanna go fast, we don't have time to process things over months. We're gonna process things over minutes. And when you process things through minutes, you become equipped to drive fast through life. So I don't know about you, but I wanna get four lifetimes into my lifetime. By the time I hit 90, I'm gonna be at my best. Right now, I've just got my L plates, I'm just learning. But I am getting better, smarter, more intelligent every year that goes by. I'm shocked at how smart I've gotten the last few years. And I just reckon I'm in grade two. I'm, re I'm literally, I've got so much smartness ahead of me and I can't wait to embrace it. So I listen to ideas, read things, watch what's going on, not just get locked in my tunnel vision and going down my little rabbit trail. But what is God doing? What's the world doing? How do I need to be ahead of the game? How do I get, not, get lost in all the, all the fluff of life? Single focus, Jesus and the mission, it's everything. Because he said, if you put me first, I'll give you everything else. All these other things, let's make it a Bible verse. All these other things will be added to you. That's the version. So we have to adapt. There's a story in the Bible about Moses. Moses was a great leader for 40 years and led the people. Now, when Moses encountered God, this often happens to all of us. And don't ever be afraid if this happens to you. He encounters God in a supernatural way and God asked him to do something that he felt was impossible to him. Whenever God asks you to do something impossible, know it's God. 
right? If it's smarter than you can think of and more impossible than you can think of, maybe it's just God. And so God says, I want you to go and liberate my people. And He has to come to in a burning bush so that Moses won't just deflect it and go back into his history and into his mindset about his disappointments, but will actually engage with God. And God starts a conversation and says, Moses, <coughs> I want you to go and deliver your people. Well, how can I do that, says Moses. Moses comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse. Moses then says, how can I do that? I can't even speak God. I love God's dry sense of humour. Who made your mouth, Moses? Me. And if I can make your mouth, I can make you talk too. Still, Moses, like most of us, wasn't convinced. So God says, listen, what's that in your hand? He says, take that stick, throw it down. And he begins to show him how he's gonna use this stick, this ordinary shepherd's staff, to compensate for the weaknesses Moses felt unable to overcome. And so we know with that stick, he dipped it in the River Nile and it became blood. We know with that stick, he threw it down in Pharaoh's court and it became a snake. We know that, that with that stick, he went and he, put, he stretched his hand towards the Red Sea and it parted. We know with that stick, he smote the rock at Rephidim and water flowed out all through his life. Instead of having to speak, he could use his stick and God would anoint him and God would make up for the deficiencies he could not overcome himself in that season of life. Then they come to a moment when they're about to cross into the promised land. You see, Moses was good at taking everybody out and now God is challenging him to grow in his leadership to take everybody in. And so he comes to Moses and says, listen, there's a big rock here. The people need some water. What I want you to do this time is not hit the rock with your stick. I want you to speak to it. Now, when you think about that moment, it was a shocking moment for Moses because God had never asked him to speak in the whole 40 years that he'd been leading. He said, you can use your stick and your brother can speak for you. But now 40 years later, God says, it's time for you to grow because there's a new promised land that's coming that's gonna require different leadership from you. And I want you to stand up and I want you to speak. And I can imagine God and Moses having this conversation. But you know, God, when I signed up for this, that I couldn't speak and you gave me a stick and that stick's been fine up to now. It'll be fine for the future as well. I'll be good with my stick. And God says, no, you won't be good with your stick, Moses. I'm demanding you grow up. I'm just demanding that you learn to trust me at another level. I'm asking you to step up and say, I believe you, God. It's impossible to speak after using a stick, but I want to speak because you asked me to do it. And I can imagine as they're talking, going backwards and forwards, because the Bible says that Moses knew God, spoke to God as a friend. And God's saying, come on, Moses, I want you to do it. You've lived with that, that problem in your life for a very long time. Don't you think it's time to surrender your stick and embrace more grace for the race? And Moses goes, no. In fact, Moses gets so upset and gets so angry because God's not gonna change his mind. He's trying to convince God. And 40 years ago, God accepted his convincing rhetoric but not this time. God says, I want you to grow up, Moses. I want you to learn to speak. And Moses is so angry that finally in obedience to God, it seems, no, sorry, in disobedience to God, he goes up to the rock and he goes, you know what? It worked before, it'll work again. So he smashes the rock with his stick. 
expecting the same miracle to happen that happened last time. Nothing comes out. So now Moses is furious. So he smites it again, hits it again. And this time God honours it because in front of the people, He doesn't want to embarrass Moses. So He allows the nostalgia of yesterday to still work in front of the people and water flows out of the rock. Let me just say this to you. Sometimes we can get so enamoured with songs 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and we can be, oh, I feel God. No, you may just be feeling nostalgia. And your soul feels so good because your nostalgia doesn't mean it's anointed. It's got a measure of anointing for sure. And after the water flows out, he doesn't embarrass him in front of the people. He calls him up and says, go up to Mount Nebo. Now Mount Nebo overlooks Israel on the plain there. You can see the ocean. You can see where the different tribes are gonna be. And Moses gets an opportunity to see the future, but not an opportunity to participate in the future. He saw the future, then died before the future. God was saying to him, because you refuse to grow, though you are great in this season, you will not be even part of the next season. And I just think that's a great, uh, great encouragement to all of us. Our church has got to 100 because people have embraced change all the way along. Thousands of decisions by thousands and tens of thousands of people to say yes to God. As we move forward, it's time to say yes again. It's time to say, God, I want you to do more. And if God asks you to speak instead of belting the rock, would you just be enough, smart enough to learn from Moses that when God says it, He's serious. If you don't embrace new grace for the race and surrender your stick, the stick that blessed you will become the crutch that you die on. If you're watching today from Alpharetta, God wants you to surrender the stick, embrace more grace for the race. In Gwinnett, it's the same thing. In Espanol and Kennesaw, God wants you to embrace new grace for the race. Because I used to read that passage of Scripture and think, gee, God is a bit tough. Well, you're about to face giants. You're about to face all kinds of opposition in the promised land. You better be able to lead the way God wants you to lead. And leading out is different to leading into. And as we go into the next 100 years, it's time everybody to say, God, I'm open, I'm ready. And I'm so glad I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. So it's not like I'm trying to correct anybody. I'm just trying to encourage us. Let's keep on yielding. Let's keep on surrendering. Let's keep on saying yes, 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 yes to God. No matter how scary it is. One of the great pieces of advice my father gave me was this, when I was a timid teenager, very aggressive on the football field, but very timid on a stage. He said, Ashley, always accept every opportunity. So I said yes to everything, even though my heart said no and died a thousand times. So what I discovered in my own life was this, I'm a follow through man, so if I say yes, my yes is a yes. So I would make sure I said yes a long way away because I didn't feel so scared when I said yes. But as I got close, I've been going, what on earth did I say yes for? So trick yourself. Whatever you have to do, say yes. I'm all in, God. Yes, I'm all in. 